Uh, every morning I, I come in before church and uh, pray in this space. And this morning, and, and every morning, or every Sunday, I ask the same question, Lord, what do you want to do today? And this morning, I was impressed by me. I want to speak to my children. And I said, well, what do you want me to do today? And he said, listen. And so I just want to take a time. If you want to sit down with me, um, before we pray this morning, for us to just sit in a posture of prayer and ask, Lord, what do you want to do today? What are you saying to me today? wonderful is it that you are a God that, that is personal, God that speaks to us, that has conversations with us. Lord, your word says that, that you show us which way to go, Lord, that you guide us, Lord, that you hold us in your strong and mighty hands. this morning as we, we lift up our voices and praise God. God, before we head into to this message, Lord, I, I ask that each one of us would say, God, what do you want to do today? Lord, how do you want to speak to me today? God, I pray that you would give us the courage, Lord, and the humility to hear it. for the folks in our, our church that are experiencing illness and physical barriers, Lord. We pray for a miraculous healing. God, we pray that you would heal their bodies, that you would bring them peace and comfort. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for the folks in our, our building that are experiencing not physical barriers, Lord but emotional barriers and relational barriers. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that those barriers would be broken. God, we pray these things because we believe that you can do them. And Lord, for the biggest barriers, the biggest burdens that we carry, Jesus, we place them at your feet. Lord, for the next half an hour to 45 minutes, Lord, we can trust you that long. And we can focus in on your voice and hear your words. Jesus, we love you. It's in his powerful and perfect name. Amen. Well, good morning. I got the sniffles, so I'm really sorry if this comes over the loudspeaker. Uh, <laughs> I like... All right. Anyway, um, well, good morning. It is great to see you guys this morning. Uh, welcome to week three, week four, about love stuff. Apparently, we have a lot to talk about because we're still in this series, and we still have a week left. So uh, welcome to week four of love stuff. And I have really enjoyed this series. It has stretched me um, just to think about love stuff on a weekly 
daily basis, uh, where I usually don't, given my singleness. But um, I figured this morning we could get some outside perspective uh, from a, I would call a 90s philosopher, Al Bundy. Um, (laughs) Oh, all right. Look, as long as I got you here, let me try a little something out on you. Now, in my speech, I'm using a visual aid to point out to the students the pitfalls in life. This is your brain. (laughs) This is your brain on marriage. Any questions? <laughs> it's a good clip, right? It's a good clip. It's like over 15 years old, but I think that it's still true, right? It's still a commentary on our culture's view of marriage, right? Like that there is no newness, no fun, no adventure after the rings are on the fingers, right? Uh, Time Magazine, they actually did an article that was similar to Al Bundy, and they said this, there's a reason fairy tales always end in marriage. It's because nobody wants to see what comes after. It's too grim. Meeting the right person, working through common misunderstandings, and overcoming family disapproval to get to the altar, those are stories we're telling. Plotting on year after year with the same old soul, Yonsville. And this is our opinion, our culture's opinion on marriage. That after that happens, like, the fun is gone. You know, you see newly engaged people and like married folks come out of the woodworks and they pretend like they've returned from war, right? You know, they're like, oh man, first year's the worst year. Oh man, second year makes the first year look like a piece of cake, you know? Don't even get me started on the seven year itch. Like all of these things, you better be prepared. And you, you go into this institution and you think, oh dear, what did I sign up for? And it's no, it's no surprise that less than half of the adults, studies show, between the ages of 18 and 64 are married. 48%. Less than half. And the researcher that did this uh, from the Family Studies Institution, he said that in the long run, we're heading towards an age where marriage is no longer an institution that majority of adults live in. Marriage itself is becoming unappealing. It's becoming unappealing to young people. Uh, I can say that, people my age, why should I get married, you know, and I can just have a live-in boyfriend? Why should I get married? Why should I spend all the money on the dress, on the shoes, on the venue, and do all this stuff when reality is I could just change my status on Facebook? (laughs) You know, why would I go through all of these lengths when really... I could have a relationship and jump ship whenever it gets difficult. You know, why would I do that? I remember uh, last April, I I watched my sister's wedding on a webcam from Vegas, (laughs) okay? Uh, The institution is getting cheaper and cheaper. And then what I find interesting is that in the footnotes of this Time Magazine uh, article, it says this, studies suggest married people will have better sex, better health and wealth, and will probably die happier than singles with a lower likelihood of strokes, heart disease, and depression. Married people also respond better to stress and even heal more quickly. 
you know, but it's a drag, and we don't want to do it. A total Yonsville, right? Like, you turn into a freaking X-Man when you get married. You heal quicker. Like, this is insane. But we don't want to do it. And you have to give the enemy props because he has made something. He has destroyed an institution of God, and then he blames the institution. Look at this. Like, he, he perverted marriage. He, he skewed it. He has come between it. He has changed what it meant. And now that we're suffering the consequences, he's like, well, God made it. Well, his stamp of approval was on it. And so this morning, my message is called Worth Fighting For. Because I want to ask the question, why should we fight for marriage? Well, why should we fight for marriage in this world? Huh. And this isn't just for people that are married. This isn't why should we fight for your marriage. This is for singles too. Why should you fight for marriage? Uh, why should you wait? Why should you hold on to what God has promised for you? Married folks, why should you keep fighting? Why not move on to greener pastures? And to answer that, I want to continue to look at the Old Testament story of the Israelites. And this morning we're going to look at just after they crossed the Red Sea. Now, uh, a lot of times in Scripture, God compares his relationship with his people to marriage. Uh, that's where we see the church being called the bride of Christ. Um, that's where we see him comparing uh, having a relationship with Jesus to a marriage. And so what happens, and for all intents and purposes, uh, the Israelites come out of their honeymoon phase. And the second they, they cross that sea, conflict happens. Just like in any relationship. The second the honeymoon is over, conflict happens. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at this story, and I want to show you how they handled this conflict and how it relates to us fighting for marriage. So Exodus 17, starting in verse 9, it says, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men. I was like, I didn't realize Moses was from Kentucky. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Choose us some men. You know, I don't know. But it says, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur, which I... That, that's just a funny statement. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a joke there. Uh, went up to the top of the hill, and so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. So arms up, Israel is winning. Arms down, Israel is losing. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. There's that a, until the going down of the sun. So Joshua <laughs> defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So the first reason that I'm going to give you, why should we fight for marriage? And that is because conflict means closeness. Conflict means closeness, and that's kind of unfortunate truth. So let's just like swallow that for a minute, because conflict means closeness. I heard a story this week that was just too good not to share of this married couple, and uh, this husband, he comes down the stairs into the kitchen, and he finds his wife, who is 
all dressed up in this dress because she has this huge presentation at work. And he's like, liking what he sees, okay? And so he walks up to her, and there's this zipper along the back of her dress. And so he unzips it a little bit, zips it a little bit, you know, being playful, unzips it, unzips it, zips it, zips it, unzips it. And she's like, stop it. <laughs> she's like, not feeling it. She's like, you have got to stop. Today is a stressful day. Leave me alone, which only encouraged him, right? And so he zips it, and he unzips it, he zips it, and zips it. And finally, she whips around and says, cut it out. And he rips the zipper off the dress. And she says, Ugh! And she runs upstairs, changes, leaves without saying goodbye, and is just fuming mad. And on the way to work, she's thinking, how could he do this to me? Like, he knew it was a big day. I don't know. And, you know, while she was on her way to work, the guy was like, hmm, I should have probably chicken for lunch. <laughs> and so she comes back, and she's still stewing in this anger. And she sees him in the garage, under the car, working on the car, with his legs sticking out and his zipper sticking out. And see, she goes up, and she unzips his pants a little bit, zips a little bit, zips, unzips, 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 unzips. She goes, how do you like these apples? Like, doesn't this suck now? And she, feeling like she had finally had her vengeance, she walked into her room, or into her house, and she walks into the kitchen where she is stunned to find her husband <laughs> pouring a cup of tea. <laughs> and she says, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he's like, I live here? What are you doing here? You're supposed to be under the car. You're not under the car. Why are you over here? Who's under the car? And he says, the muffler, the neighbor, neighbor came over. He was helping me fix the muffler. I was getting him a cup of tea. What? And she's like, you're supposed to be under the car. And so she explains it to him. And he, he's like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to go talk to him. And so they go out and they see legs just straight out. Silence. And they yell his name and he doesn't answer. And he doesn't answer. Which I was like, smart man. And they pulled him out from under and he's out cold because he did what every normal person do, does when somebody touches the zipper of their pants. He sat up into the car, <laughs> and he was completely passed out. <laughs> that was a good story. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's just good. That's good stuff. But uh, the point being is that conflict will happen, funny or otherwise. <laughs> conflict will happen. And the, the reason that it happens is because whatever God begins, Satan opposes. Whatever God begins... Satan opposes. Uh, because closeness, it means conflict. You know, when we enter into something that God has started, conflict is bound to happen. Zippers or no zippers. Uh, in Genesis 2.24, it starts by saying uh, that the man and the woman came together. In Genesis 2.25, it said, they are both were naked and the man and his wife were unashamed. The very next verse after the first marriage bed, now the serpent. Very next verse. And this is in different chapters. This is separated in our Bibles, but that's not how it was written. It said, man and woman came together. Now the serpent. Now the serpent. The very next thing that happens, and oftentimes we fall for this lie that conflict means trouble. That if I don't agree with him, or he doesn't agree with me, that I need to jump ship. But the reality is, is that's completely baloney. You know who I never really have conflict with? Complete strangers. 
Uh, you know who I never really sit up at night thinking about how terrible or how wonderful they are? Somebody I've never met. The same is true with conflict. Conflict exposes that you are okay being your most vulnerable with somebody else. Conflict reveals that there is closeness. And you don't need to call it quits. No, no. You need to get closer. You need to uh, rebuke the enemy that says jump ship. Because conflict means there is closeness. And you might say, Lindsay, I can think of a hundred other ways to be close. And I would tell you, that's fine. But there is nothing in all of the world that you learn so much from than failure. Winston Churchill, he said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. See, in some of the hardest lessons, some of the most difficult things that we have to learn, they happen on the other side of our biggest disagreement and the harshest truths and conversations that we have to have. Because closeness, it implies that there will be conflict. So reason two, why should we fight for marriage? Because division diminishes strength. Listen, the moment that there was unity, now the serpent. The moment that there was togetherness, now the serpent. And, and I can tell you why, because the serpent, he didn't just see Adam and Eve. He saw a legacy. He saw follow-through. In the same way, when the devil looks at you, he doesn't just see the immediate actions that are going to happen. No, he sees follow-through. He sees your grandkids, 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 grandkids looking at what your marriage was like. He gets worried that your grandkids are going to look at your humble and loving relationship and want something like that. And he doesn't just see what is happening. No, he looks at the unfulfillment and the pain. He's already planning addictions for your kids. He's on the other side of the fairy tale. And this is why in all we do, we have to think follow through. Because if you don't, I guarantee you he will. I guarantee you that he will see the follow through of your decisions. And so our goal is that we can't be divided. Division, it diminishes power, it diminishes strength. And so, so what gets behind or gets between us in marriage? And Meredith made this lovely cake for us this morning. So isn't it beautiful? Like, <laughs> well, I don't want to mess with it, but here we go. Um, anyway, so what, what gets between us in marriage? And she put Batman and Cruella de Vil on the top of it, which I think is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> All right, so... When you get married, we got a little, actually they seem quite large now that I look at this, but whatever. So in marriage, you get married, right? And there's this beautiful moment, you know, your aunt drives down from California and everything happens, you know, it's wonderful, <laughs> I don't know. But as life progresses, things seem to get in between. Now what can get in between is a multitude of things. You know, it could be unforgiveness. It could be, like, self-worth. Sometimes it's a little more tangible. Uh, sometimes it's uh, social media. Social media can get in the way. I saw a picture the other day of 
what life looked like before social media and like the couple was cuddling in bed and now they're both flipping outward with the glow of the phone on their faces. And so sometimes social media will get into the way. Uh, sometimes debt. I can't believe she bought that. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe that they did that. And it will get in between. Money. Uh, I want to give my kids the life that I never had. And then you have to ask questions like, do, do my kids need more of me or more money? And sometimes we make that decision a little, a little poorly. And so money's in there. Um, our past relationships. You know, the relationships that didn't happen. The relationships that ended uh, in a courtroom. Uh, we have to deal with these, don't we? We have to have restoration from these, but if we're not careful, they can become the reason that we don't trust our spouse. And then, cute enough, the kids come into the mix. And the kids, they're cute, they're great, they scream, they poop, they cry, they repeat, you know, we love them. And we would give, every, give everything for them because they're our flesh and blood. And, and we say, well, I guess they come before my husband or my wife. You know, and I don't know how they birthed this big of a head on a teenager, but whatever. Um, and they, they come in between us. And suddenly we look at our lives and they're crowded. And there's all these other things that happen before my spouse. There's all these things that are coming between. And so let me tell you what, if you don't date your spouse, I'm sure the devil will find somebody who will date your spouse. And so that's when uh, Wonder Woman <laughs> comes into place here. Hey there. And I was going to print off, uh, <laughs> I was going to print off Superman, but let's be real, Black Panther's so much better. Uh, <laughs> and Black Panther comes in. And all of a sudden, this cake is really crowded, isn't it? What started as one man and one woman falling in love and becoming one turns into one man and a bunch of other stuff and one woman. And so what do we got to do? Well, these things have a place. They do, I promise you. Most of them are really good things. They just can't be priority number one. Social media has a place. You know, it is good to like be a part of other people's lives and to know what's going on, but that can be down here. That can be that can be underneath. That's not on the top tier of the cake. Uh, your divorce, your past relationships, this is something you will have to work together on. But it is not something that will come between you two. And you have to make that decision. You have to say, my wife is not my ex. My husband is not my ex. But we will work through that together. My debt, if you have this, you're going to have to work through it. But it doesn't come between you. My money, my job, we all need them, but it's still not number one. And my kids, as cute as they are, and as demanding as they are, listen, Jesus at the center, marriage first, kids second. And you may say, no, no, Lindsay, you don't, you've never met my kids, they're important to me, and I would tell you this, your kids, if things go right, they shouldn't be living with you when they're 30 years old. Okay? 
your marriage should be still living with you when they are 30 years old. They are intended to leave. Your marriage is not. And so they have to come second. They're really high on the list, you know, raise them up, but they're still second. And Black Panther and, well, they can just, they don't belong on the cake. And we have to get to a place where we are together, where Jesus is at the center, and all this other crud, as good as it may be, it comes second. And that, the reason that this is, is because division, it diminishes power. It diminishes uh, the power in our lives. It makes us confused. It makes us uh, worried. It makes us self-conscious. But when we are united, that's something worth fighting for. So how do we fight for marriage? How, how do we fight for, for this? How do we fight for this kind of unity? And that's where Moses and Joshua come into play. Um, so I actually asked my friend Kurt to volunteer for this. Voluntold. Um, and so Moses, he did what we said before. He raised his rod in the air. And, and Joshua, he drew his sword. So raise your hands and praise the Lord. And Joshua drew his sword. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, and so what I would say that if we are going to fight for marriage, we need something that is holy and anointed, holy and anointed, but also incredibly practical, incredibly realistic. It has to be Jesus-centered and, like, God-focused and worshipful and also something that I can actually do. And so we're going to learn from these two characters, one lesson from each, one from Moses and one from Joshua. And I think I'm going to start with Joshua, if that's cool with you. Sure. Okay, cool. Uh, so the first one is, to fight for marriage, is that you need to keep a cool head. You need to keep a cool head. Turn to your neighbor and just say, you got to keep a cool head. <laughs> keep a cool head. Now... You have to make sure that you are maintaining a level head, that when your head gets hot, you are taking breaths, you are taking steps to keeping a cool head. Now, the cheetah is a very interesting creature. And I was reading this article in the National Geographic, and <laughs> it's like, Lord, she's got an article now. Um, but, but I was reading this article in the National Geographic, and cheetahs can run about 75 miles per hour. So, like, as fast as I drive on I-25, they run, okay? That's insane to me. But they can only run at that speed until their brain gets to 105 degrees. 105 degrees. And once their brain reaches 105 degrees, they have two options. They either can stop and pant and cool down, or they can keep running and drop dead. <laughs> Uh, the gazelles, though, uh, they are what usually the cheetahs are running after, right? And they can reach a temperature of 109 degrees of brain capacity and temperature. But they never get above 105 degrees. Because what happens with a gazelle is that when they breathe in, their air is channeled right past the vessel that pumps the blood up to the brain. And so with every stride, with every breath, they cool down just a little bit and they can keep on going. 
That's why a cheetah, if they don't catch the gazelle right away, they probably are going to go hungry. Because a gazelle may not be as fast as a cheetah, but it can last much longer. And as cool as cheetahs are, we got to learn to be gazelles. We got to learn to take little breaths and little moments to keep ahead of the game. That means that, you know, when you are going through life and you make that stupid comment to your spouse, that means you apologize quickly and you mean it because they are important to you. That means that when you're going through life and you, that website pops up on your phone or that thought enters into your head, the very next website that you're looking at is a blocker and the very next person you're talking to is your accountability partner. That means that when life gets really mundane and boring in your marriage, you date the hell out of your spouse and you get ahead of the game. Listen, Joshua, when he was going and he was fighting, imagine what that would have felt like. He draws his sword and he looks back at Moses, who is now struggling to raise the rod, and it starts lowering. And he's thinking, are you kidding me? But he keeps fighting. He keeps the pace so that the second that his hands raise back up, they start prevailing again. That's what you have to do. If you're married or if you're single, you have to keep a cool head you got to keep the sin at bay. You have to build your life on a good foundation and say, I will continue to get ahead. Now Moses, I guess we can get to him eventually. (laughs) Moses, we learn another thing. To build your life on the rock. See, Moses raises his arms in trust. How are you doing? Good. Roses, Moses, Roses, Moses raises his hands in trust. He says, I will praise God. And when he does that, the Israelites prevail. And then his arms, they, they start to get heavy. And he starts sinking. I'm not even putting much weight on this. Uh, he starts sinking. And he can't hold it up any longer. And when this happens, when they lower, the Israelites, they start to be defeated by the Amalekites. This is like kind of, this this is like more enjoyable for me than it should be. Okay, anyway. (laughs) And so when his arms start to sink, the Israelites start to lose. And so his friends, Aaron and her, they come up with a plan. And so I need two friends of Kurt's, if there are two, two friends, two friends. And they bring, I don't have a rock big enough, but they bring a rock, and I have a, a stool, which is a rock, and they place it underneath him. And then one takes one arm, one arm, and one takes the other. How does that feel? (laughs) You could do this all day, couldn't you? (laughs) Not if Nick is involved. (laughs) But you could do this all day, right? (laughs) This this is sustainable. You know, he he has his friends supporting him, and he could do this all day because his life is built on the rock, and he's surrounded by supportive friends. He's surrounded by a community that lifts him up. You, listen, you want to know why people my age are not getting married? Because we don't see this. 
We see, I somehow pick some, some man or some girl, then somehow we're going to figure it out together. And hopefully it works. We don't see a community like this. We don't see people raising up each other's arms. We don't see people that are saying, I want to pour into your life. I want to pour into your marriage. So who do you have in your corner? Who knows what you guys are going through? Who knows what you're facing? Because let me tell you what, if Aaron and her were... <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> if Aaron and her were not there, what would have Moses' arms done? Eventually, you know, they would have continued to sink down. <laughs> Down and down. <laughs> and that's what has to happen. When this kind of crap gets in your way, when social media is like, come on, come on, come on. You know, when, when uh, pornography is like, yeah, I'll, I'll fix it, I'll fix it. And your friends say, no. You know, when another woman sees you at the gym and you're like, come on, <laughs> no. Now I'm just messing with you. <laughs> give, them a, give them a round of applause. <laughs> High five. <laughs> so this morning what I want to do is I want to end in a time where we are like Moses and Aaron and her, where we're lifting each other up. And so I'm not going to invite the worship team up here at the end of our service. We're actually going to end in community prayer. And I... This is one of my favorite things to do, but we don't do it very often. But I want to encourage you to find somebody in the room. Maybe if you're like, I'm going to find some, some guy that's going through the same thing, or another single person, or I'm going to pray over this couple. Like, feel free to do that. And I'm going to play a song over the speakers, and I'm not going to like get up and dismiss you. You take as much time as you need, and just lift up each other's arms. Uh, be vulnerable. Say, this is what I'm dealing with right now. And, and pray together. And maybe through this whole experience, you find that as a single person, this renews your strength to keep going. Maybe as a dating person, maybe this means that I'm going to commit to building on a good foundation. Maybe married folks, you're like, I need to step it up again. Whatever it is, I just hope that this, this time as we close would be a time of community where we can be together in this. So would you pray with me? Lord, this morning we got to be silly and we got to learn a lot about your truth and how you handle conflict, how you handle the moment when we leave the honeymoon phase. Lord Jesus, I pray that during this time that you would help us uh, to come alongside each other. Lord, to not raise the rod by ourselves, Jesus, but to surround each other with good and support. Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be a time where we just fail or get afraid, Lord, but that I believe that you have set up divine appointments, Lord, for us to interact with other people, for other people to lift up our arms, to be full of your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.